Welcome all you good movie buddies to The Popcorn Diet, a podcast for those who live on a steady diet of movie, theater, popcorn, and other delicious snacks like circus popcorn. Does that count? I guess we're going to count it. I'm going to count it. I write these. I'm going to count it. As always, my name is Rick Williamson, your very best good movie buddy, and joining us as usual is the Canadian machine, Mr. David Malhorn. And David... How you doing today, man? You haven't been on the episode on the podcast in a couple of episodes. I'm happy you're back. You know what? It's it's allergy season, and man, I have been hit hard by allergies, but I feel good enough. You're back. I won't say I feel great, but I feel good enough. I'm ready to go. Flying elephants. You've been and do- all. <laughs> You've been doing some sneezing like Dumbo Dumbo does absolutely, in the film. Absolutely. He snorts his little feather and does a little achoo. Well, good, man. I'm glad you're back. Before we get into Dumbo, though, because there's a lot to unpack about this movie. Before we kind of get into the actual movie itself, I wanted to talk about the overlying theme of this film and why I find it so interesting and why I think the discussion around the film will remain interesting. And that is because, and this is not a spoiler alert, like if you watch the trailers, if you read the summary, you'll know that this Dumbo movie goes further than the original. You know, you and I talked about this before we started recording, how the first one, how short is the first one? It's short. It's like 60. 64 minutes. 64 minutes. This one's two hours, a little under two hours, right? So they had to stretch it out. They had to add more story. Ultimately, what happens, though, is that the greedy, giant corporation conglomerate is, shockingly enough, the bad guy. And I find that fascinating, especially in the way that they portray said corporation and said leader of that corporation in this film. Because it's made by Disney, right? And I kind of wanted to take the opportunity to talk about Disney here for a little bit beforehand um, because that interpretation of the film, it could go one of a couple of ways, but I wanted to take an opportunity to talk about Disney. We haven't, I don't think we talked about it other than in our 2019 preview. We talked about it a little bit, I think, Mm -hmm. but Disney is poised to have an absolutely massive year, not just at the box office, although that is certainly part of it. They have 10 films Scheduled to come out this year, which was one more than what we talked about. They have Captain Marvel, which just crossed the billion-dollar worldwide line. They have Dumbo, which we're talking about now. We're less than a month away from Avengers Endgame. Then they have Aladdin, Toy Story 4, The Lion King, Artemis Fowl, Maleficent 2, The Mistress of Evil, I think is the Mistress of Darkness or something, Frozen 2, and then Star Wars Episode Nine. That is... One of the most blockbuster heavy slates I have ever seen. Not to mention the fact that they're opening brand new thing. They're opening Star Wars land in their parks. And they just closed the deal on Fox, which we'll talk about in a little bit. How do you feel about that lineup? Do you feel like that's like, what are, you, what are your thoughts when you look at that lineup? Because I, I certainly have a couple. But when you look at that lineup, all of the sequels... All of the remakes, the adaptations. I mean, it's it's just a product of the world we live in from a film industry standpoint. Um, I mean, you can focus on Disney because they'll end up with the majority of the top grossing films of the year. Sure. But it's not like all these other studios are being complete unique. Unique. I mean, we got Hobbs and Shaw. We've got Men in Black. Uh, Men two, in Black. We've got three, four, four. Uh, Pet Cemetery that's coming out mm-hmm. is a remake. So it's like it's not like like everybody can point at Disney and be like, you're not being creative or you're just repurposing stuff that you've had already. But let's be honest, the majority of the industry right now is that too. I mean, we've had Lego Movie. We've had. Um, you I mean, know, just happy death day dragon. to you, how to train your dragon, Tyler Perry making another movie. <laughs> um, it's not like shout out to Universal for making us an, an original film that's making a shitload of money. Sure. Absolutely. And I think that's the thing is everybody just wants that for sure ticket. You know, there's not really what's the motivation to Disney to do something original 
if they can take one of their content that hasn't been made. Remember, we're talking about something like Dumbo. I mean, the movie was last made 1941. 70, 78 years ago. So, and oddly at, enough, at what point is it okay to remake it? Like right. at that point. And so. oddly enough, they never really tried because there's been a lot. Like they did 101 Dalmatians, like back in the 90s. Like they never tried to make like a, uh, you know, made for TV movie or anything. Dumbo just kind of sat there. Yeah, and I think part of that's it was. I think I think there's a soft spot for it, but I also don't think it's like something that like people were like, oh, I'd really like to see oh, a Dumbo. Dumbo. Dumbo, like that's my favorite movie ever. Right. That's a question. And when we get into talking about the film itself, we'll talk a little bit more about the attachment of the film, because I agree in that people are attached to Baby Mine, the song Baby Mine. Mm-hmm. Pretty much it. You know, yeah. um, now, how do you feel now? I, and I'm I'm in the same boat, you know. I I can recognize we watch enough movies, <laughs> we watch enough damn movies to get the small stuff as well. You know, Disney is out here raking in the money, but Netflix, Amazon, Focus Features, all the little indie studios that we talk about, they're out here making tiny quality films as well. Although I won't get into the conversation that I believe, which is that. Indie films are just as unoriginal as Disney films. How many coming-of-age stories can I get before I've seen enough coming-of-age stories? Um, but I, I'm fine with it. I, I Give me the blockbuster. Give me the sequel. Give me the continuing story. I'm always there for it. Now, the other question ties back into what I was talking about before, which is the evil, gigantic conglomerate. Now, I know you, David, and, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think you demonize Disney for being a gigantic corporation. No. I okay. mean, you you make a lot of money and you're going to become a giant corporation. Gonna... Like, I can't penalize a company for being really good at what they do. Sure. So, or, cor- or even course correcting. Remember how Disney yeah. sucked in like the early 2000s? Sure. They turned that shit around. They turned that franchise around, you know. But the other thing that is making 2019 a big year for them is they just bought Fox, right? Mm-hmm. Now, that means a lot of different things. That means there's going to be a lot of consolidation. We've already talked about shuttering some of their studios, Fox 2000. I firmly believe... And I could be wrong. I we'll, we'll wait and see. But I firmly believe that Disney is going to let Fox operate in the same way that they let Marvel operate and Star Wars operate under the guiding forces of certain people like Kevin Feige or Kathleen Kennedy or Pixar, which was under John Lasseter, which has since moved on to other leadership. Mm-hmm. I feel like Fox is going to be the same way. But for those of you who don't remember or realize or who hadn't heard of it yet, Disney just bought they closed the deal last month in March. 20th Century Fox, one of the biggest film studios, production studios, or in this day and age, quote unquote, content creators of all time. And with that, Disney gets access to all of their franchises as well. And that means things like Planet of the Apes, Die Hard, Alien, Predator, Kingsman, Avatar, is now under the Disney, technically under the Disney umbrella, but also more importantly, not necessarily for this conversation, but for other people, they get the access to the original Star Wars, which were distributed by 20th Century Fox, and X-Men, Fantastic Four, and Deadpool, which they can then bring into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Is this a monopoly on content? Can there be such a thing? As monopoly on content. I I don't I I am one of the suckers. <laughs> I am one of the guys who's I don't give a shit. If I get to see Wolverine fighting with the Avengers or whatever, I'm there. Whatever they need to do, I don't care if they gotta kill a couple people. Okay. <laughs> it's probably a little more morally bankrupt than I want to admit. But one can argue that is a lot of control in terms of content for one organization to have. Sure. But do you go back to the same argument, which is you're successful enough? I mean, you know, you couldn't do like that's the reason why we have like that's the reason why you can't have a monopoly in other industries. Well, I think you have to look at it this way, too. If you're a fan of Deadpool or 
Avatar or Die Hard or whatever. The fact of the matter is, if Fox was struggling and if Fox was in a position that they needed to sell, you're probably not going to get the volume of content or the content that you want, whether it be them having to skimp on a budget, not being able to pull off movies or just the fact that the reason they're in this situation they are in is because they suck at certain <laughs> things. So from that standpoint, you know, if you're truly a fan of it, I would be happy. I mean, you can think what you want about Disney, but name the last thing that you would go back and be like, they royally screwed that up. Like, right. They do a good job at what they do, you know, whether it's a big corporate machine or not. Like, I don't think anybody can take a step back and be like, man, they've just completely screwed up the Marvel universe. Like, it is just terrible. Sure. Like, I mean, the proof is in the box office. The proof is in the average uh, review on those movies. Mm -hmm. Like, they do a good job at what they do. No one's complaining that Pixar sucks. No one's complaining, you know. Right. So they do a good job at what they do. So if you're truly a fan of the of X-Men and that how bad has X-Men been screwed up over and over and over again? Like to me as an X-Men fan, I'm excited that maybe we'll be in more capable hands now moving forward. I agree. Um, and, and not to say they haven't made a, the occasional hits like Kingsman has been solid. Uh, Planet of the Apes, the most recent version of it really was fantastic. Good. Yeah. Um, obviously Avatar was great, you know, for, for what it was. Um, Deadpool has been fantastic, but I think there's more, those are more exceptions than necessarily, you know, a trend for them. Whereas I think with Disney, you get the opposite where the flaps have been more of the exceptions than necessarily, uh, there's been a whole lot more hits than there has been misses with Disney. So, um, I mean, maybe if I was a movie, someone making movies, or if I was another studio, sure. I would look on this poorly. Um, but as a movie fan, as someone who enjoys movies, I've got no problem with it. And if anything, it's probably going to work out well for me because I'm going to get a lot more of the things that I like. Sure, And absolutely. they're going to be done well. The Alien Queen is technically a Disney princess now, or I don't know how that works. I mean, you're right. The proof is in the box office. When you look back at the last 10 years in box office receipts, 20th Century Fox rarely cracks the top three in terms of market share, in terms of how much money they're making. I think it was back in 2014 was the only time they hit number one with 16.5%. But all the rest of the years, like, they're number six in 2013. In 2011, they're number six. In 2010, they're number three. Like, they, they, they're not, the, like you said. If they didn't make a shitty product, maybe they wouldn't have had to sell. Well, and here's the thing, too, is you look at even those box office things and Disney and Buena Vista is almost always releasing the least amount of films right. of the major studios, yet making the most amount of money. It's a really good um, point. Like, go to 2018. They only released 10 movies and made over $3 billion. Right. 20th Century Fox released 12, so not a ton more. No. But they only made just over $1 billion. Right. So they made three times on less movies. So, and again, it's the type of movies. I am 20th Century Fox. I don't know if that keeps under its umbrella, you know, things like Fox Searchlight and some of that. Sure. I'm not sure whether those are necessarily included. I and actually, they're not. I don't believe they um, are. I think those indie studios are counted differently. Yeah. So, and that's where I can see people maybe being upset with this would be if you're a huge fan of Fox Searchlight and Disney ends up closing down Fox Searchlight or some of the smaller studios that right. are part of Fox. Right. I get being upset about that because maybe you're not going to get those smaller films, but there's always these new uh, studios popping up, it feels like all the time. Um, we get... I mean, A24. A24, like who even knew who A24 was STX. 10 years ago? I don't even know if A24 existed 24 years ago nah. or 10 years ago. <laughs> Neon, Annapurna, like there. You bring up an excellent point also in that not only are there all these studios, but we're also Netflix, Amazon, Hulu. Yeah. All of these. 
Not to mention the fact that there are more films being made now than ever before. Yeah. And because of the technology and because of the fact that, like, Steven Soderbergh just made his last film for Netflix on an iPhone. Yep. Like, anybody, it literally, anybody can be a filmmaker now. And there's one thing that I've seen, especially with independent filmmakers, it's a lot easier to get your film seen. Because you don't need distribution. You can self-distribute. You can invest in yourself. Bet on yourself. If you have the confidence, bet on yourself. And then you put your movie out there for distribution on Amazon or on, on iTunes or whatever it is. So, And I don't want this to delve into the whole you know, giant corporations against, you know, the, the little indie guys as well. But I think, like you said, just to kind of summarize it up, I think we'll be fine. I think that there are champions of smaller independent film, and I think there are more ways than ever before for people to see it. We're not even going to touch the Oscar debate, but uh, (laughs) suffice it to say, as a movie fan, I think you're right. I think we're going to get a lot. And I think, you know, in this case, and and when we get back to it, when talking about Dumbo here, I think nonetheless it's an interesting conversation to be had about you know what people think about Disney's business practices, how they treat their employees, and things like that. Um, which I would argue is made probably better than most companies its size. You know, aside from you know the whole thing about unionizing their theme park workers, which has been in the news. But regardless, um, now that takes us to the actual film itself. It takes us to Dumbo. Now, you had mentioned previously, David, and I'm willing to bet that the answer is no. But did you have any type of connection to the original Dumbo, any type of nostalgia built in at all? Sure, I didn't like it. (laughs) (laughs) Really? That would be my nostalgia. Okay. Um, Yeah, it just, I mean, granted, I, I don't have a lot of memories of watching it over and over again. But it just wasn't a film I enjoyed watching. I mean, to me, the majority of the film is a downer. Um, sure. From that standpoint. And I don't know. I mean, it, it just never really resonated with me. So um, I apologize to anybody that I'm offending. <laughs> but um, Don't apologize. Dum- Dumbo was never one of my favorite Disney films. You never have to apologize for your opinion here. We're always I'm not just- saying it was a bad movie. I'm just saying... I never really enjoyed it. And you're it. also not like saying that if you like it, you're an idiot. No. That's that's the that's the you know the the philosophy of the popcorn diet. If you like the original Dumbo, awesome. I um, I don't necessarily have kind you know unkind thoughts about it, but I don't I don't really have any thoughts about Dumbo. My my biggest memory of Dumbo is riding the flying Dumbos at Disneyland. Honestly, the movie came out in 1941. That's World War II. <laughs> There's not, you know, not a lot of f- films that I have a direct emotional connection to that came out back then. But as you said before, the original film is 64 minutes long. And spoiler alert for the original Dumbo, it ends with him learning to fly. He he in the in the you know earlier parts of the of the animated film. He thinks he can only fly with his feather. And in the end of the film, he drops his feather and he's got to fly without it. And he flies and then he gets to stay with his mother again. His mother's let out of the boxcar and he's a big star. Happily ever after. Right? It's not what happens in this. Well, it's not, no, it's not what happens in this movie. This movie takes that film and shoves it into the first 30 minutes. And again, we're not going to go into spoilers here uh, too much, (laughs) but it has a lot of other ground to cover, Mm -hmm. right? Now, I don't know about you, but I have a couple of issues with the way that it does it. Um, Number one, what's interesting about this film is that it's, what's the phrase? the, The animals don't talk. There's a better way of saying that, but the animals don't talk. So the mouse, the crows, which for better, you know, probably for good reason, they're out. Um, And Dumbo doesn't talk. This all there's and and that means that there are more prominent human characters. So you got Colin Farrell as Holt Farrier, who's the the former 
Wild West star who lost an arm in the war. You have mm-hmm. his kids. You have Danny DeVito. And then you have Michael Keaton coming in as V.A. Vanderveer. And you have uh, Tim Burton's new Helena Bonham Carter in Eva Green coming in as like Vanderveer's like prized like trapeze artist, high flying mm-hmm. act, and all that. And one of my least favorite parts about this film, in my opinion, is that those characters are all weak. Um, there are, there like Colin Farrell. Th- the kids spend half of their time being like, "Dad, come here, look at this thing," and Colin Farrell spends most of his time being like, "I'm not going to listen to you, kids." Mm-hmm. Like that's annoying. That's annoying when you see Dumbo flapping his ears and nobody's paying attention. Well, and I think this screams to one of the biggest issues that this film had is you've tried to stretch this film into a two-hour film. Sure. 112 minutes, so just under, but still, yeah. Okay, so you're making it 48 minutes longer than the original. Mm -hmm. Um, And... You're not going to have the animals talk, which means then we need to have human characters. Right. But this movie is still called Dumbo. Right. So we need the main focus to be on the elephant, but the elephant can't talk, which makes it difficult to lead the story. So we're going to have these humans help. How and in- so how intelligent is the elephant? Yeah. And so it just makes a weird situation of like this movie still centered around this flying elephant but we have all these new characters to introduce you to and and so it's like they fall flat to me because this movie wasn't really about them and yet that's what's supposed to fill all this extra time that sure. we have of story sure um and then the other thing is that this film and again we're talking about the negatives right now I do have positives to say about the film but the other thing that I think hurts this film is in that same vein and that is there are certain things that are are cartoon-y, cartoonish, certain things in cartoons that you can get away with that you can't get away with live action. Like, for example, Tom and Jerry, right? Tom and Jerry beat the shit out of each other. I'm willing to bet that if you tried to make that live action, it would be straight up disturbing, right? Um, and I believe the same – not this, – this bear with me here – the same is true with this film in that it paints with a very broad brush, okay? So when Dumbo is first born and everybody first sees Dumbo, just like in the cartoon, everybody loses their mind and they're like, this thing is horrendous. It's a gargoyle. It's what is this thing? You better take care of this problem. That's not an elephant. That's a little baby beast. We can't sell that. We can't sell a baby elephant. And in the cartoon, maybe that works, but in the live action, I'm sitting there and I'm like, why are you all mad? That's adorable elephant with gigantic ears. Look at his beautiful eyes. Like, why are you mad? It just doesn't translate, you know? Mm -hmm. And the same is true of, uh, and I won't get too spoilery, but the same is true of the villains in that they are so villainous for seemingly no real reason. You know, they are so greedy. And in a cartoon, that makes sense. In a cartoon, these guys are caricatures. They are larger than life. It makes sense for them to be so greedy that they kind of screw it all up for themselves. Mm -hmm. In a live action film, I'm watching these characters and I'm just like, you need to chill for two seconds. If you would just take a breath... This would all be fine, but you are losing your damn mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just, those don't translate well to me. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you got the same thoughts on that, but there are certain things in the film that don't translate. The the Timothy Mouse isn't in the film that much at all. He does, they don't communicate at all like the way they do in the film. Well, I think, again, that's something that they moved from the actual mouse being the one that communicates to the two kids in the film kind of, and, and even Colin Farrell to a lesser degree kind of fill that role of who Timothy mouse was in yeah, the original film. 
you know, Timothy Mouse in the original film was the the friend of Dumbo, one of the only friends. It was the one support system, the one that gave it confidence. Like the kids kind of fill that role sure. in this film versus the actual mouse. The mouse is a pet of one of the kids. Sure. And so they kind of have that tie in while going the different direction that they've kind of gone with this entire film. Yeah, that's a good point. Now, that being said, like there are things that I liked about this film. Like I think Tim Burton does a fairly good job directing it. Uh, this is a thousand percent in his wheelhouse. <laughs> this is <laughs> what what are some of the major motifs of Tim Burton's films, right? Weird carnivals, circus freaks, weirdos, outcasts, people who feel like they're on the fringe on the outside. That is literally everyone mm -hmm. in this film. And to some degrees, it plays well. Like, I think the cast of uh, Circus... I don't know. Calling them Circus Freaks sounds weird. Circus Goers. Carnies. 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 We can do Carnies. <laughs> um, carnies. Uh, is really like enjoyable. Like they're enjoyable. Small they got, hands. Oh, they have small hands. Smell like cabbage. Yep. Um, they they are enjoyable. They got the strong man. Uh, Devito is great. Devito's my favorite part of this movie, which is probably no shock. Um, and then they they all do a really good job. And also the aesthetic. Like mm -hmm. Tim Burton really gets to play with his aesthetic. In terms of the carnival aesthetic, the big tops, the sh the big stripes, and the yeah, no, 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 that plays same with Danny Elfman. He gets to play with that carnival aesthetic in a way that they might not have really been able to do before. I mean, if you look at look at Beetlejuice, they find a way to bring carnival into that film. Look at Sweeney Todd, they find a way to bring carnival into that film. Nightmare uh, Before Christmas, car it's just his thing. Sure. And it fits. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the look and feel is is one of the stronger points of this film. Um, I think performance-wise, I think my favorite two would be DeVito and Keaton. I think they're the best. Obviously, Keaton's, you know, that negative. He's the bad guy in this film. Right, and he um, is going for it. And like... he commits to it. Um, <laughs> you know, him, him and DeVito are by far the most memorable characters in my opinion sure um in this film um you you do have a solid supporting cast but i mean alan arkin is kind of eh. what's he doing there i mean you could have had anybody play it, Any, it literally it anybody it didn't need to be alan arkin we couldn't get walking in here a little bit we couldn't <laughs> get some walking yeah and so i i thought you know everybody was fine but the only ones that kind of stood out as feeling like they were truly like all for this, right. <laughs> even Colin Farrell's kind of eh and in this He's film. just understated. And yeah. then you have DeVito being DeVito, and then you have Michael Keaton be going big. Yeah. Same with Eva Green. Eva Green's good in this film. Like, she's really good at being understated, but she's also just understated. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, let's wrap it up. Let's let's go with our, our popcorn ratings, David. What popcorn rating? Oh, I should explain it. For If you've never listened to us before, we do our own popcorn ratings. We have five different popcorn ratings that we like to give. We have burnt popcorn, which means this movie's garbage, don't waste your time, free, not free, whatever, not worth it. We have stale popcorn, which is, eh, if it's free, I guess you can watch it. You know, don't spend money on it. It's not good. If you're desperate, fine. We have microwave popcorn, which is middle of the road. Your mileage may vary. Good microwave popcorn can be really good for the right person. Bad microwave popcorn can be really bad for the right person. So microwave popcorn, if you want to see it in the movie theaters, fine. You don't have to. If you want to wait for a rental, go right ahead. But really middle of the road. And then we have movie theater popcorn, which is pretty good. You should see it in the movie theater. You should take the opportunity to see this on the big screen with some, with some movie theater popcorn. And then last but certainly not least, we have perfect popcorn this movie's amazing you should see it as soon as possible get out there now while you can and see it david what is your popcorn rating for dumbo my popcorn rating would be microwave popcorn it's it's fine again full disclosure to everybody Dumbo's not my favorite of stories, right? And and movies in general. You weren't so, exactly in the bag for this movie. So to begin it was with. it was facing an uphill battle to make movie theater popcorn or perfect popcorn. Sure. That being said, 
um, I think there was a lot of missed opportunities and, and there's nothing necessarily that I walked away feeling hugely memorable about this. Like I'll probably forget about it <laughs> given a very brief amount of time. Okay. Okay, I'm I'm also going to give it microwave popcorn for pretty much the same reasons. Visually speaking, it's a really good looking film. The cinematography is wonderful. The special effects are great. It's it manages to be both vibrant and also somewhat muted as well. The performances are all over the place. Some are boring, some are really good, and the story is all over the place as well. Sometimes it paints with too broad of a brush to really get into it. That being said, like there are flashes of that Disney magic. Tim Burton does a pretty decent job. And, you know, again, and we can we can talk about this more in spoilers, but I find it fascinating that Disney made this movie just because of the subject matter and who the villains are and things like that. So I'm giving it microwave popcorn as well. And before we get into spoilers, we are going to take the briefest of ad breaks. What's up, good movie buddies? Before we get into spoilers, I want to remind everybody that you can get regular episodes of The Popcorn Diet for free by hitting that subscribe button, hitting that follow button wherever you are listening. We'd really appreciate you taking just a few seconds to hit those buttons, give us a rating, give us a review, share with your friends, your other good movie buddies, The Popcorn Diet, so we can grow the good movie buddy community. We also want to remind you to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet and consider becoming a patron of the podcast by throwing us a few dollars. Not only are you going to help us improve the podcast, help us generate more content, but then you are going to get access to that content like patron only episodes like franchise refills. So check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash the popcorn diet. Of course, we don't want you to forget that you can also follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram at the popcorn diet and then of course you can find all of our latest regular episodes articles reviews predictions and more on our website popcorndietpodcast.com but david now we get to talk about spoilers a little bit and and this isn't exactly the type of movie that is like oh there's so many spoilers in it i think this is just an opportunity for us to talk about the end of the film um, which I find, or, or maybe it's just an opportunity for me to talk about the end of the film, because I was really interested in 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 the the direction that this film took after it wrapped up the original Dumbo. Right in the original Dumbo, he is stuck in the fire. They're doing the fire thing. They're doing the fire trick. Right with the clowns. And he loses his feather and he's got to jump out and fly. And, oh, he's the flying elephant. And that's the end. In this movie, though, V.A. Vanderveer reads about that, comes to the circus, kind of entices Danny DeVito, like, I want to make you partner and shit like that, and buys it and takes them all to Dreamland, which, would you agree, is basically like a Tim Burton, like, I mean, that's just Tomorrowland. Tomorrowland. It's Disneyland. Sure. You know, they even have rides named after like what Disneyland has. They have a journey to the moon ride. They have a I don't remember what they call it. I think they call it like Danger Island, which is Adventureland. You know, that's it is a thinly veiled version of Disneyland and their giant castle, if you will, is the giant big top at the park. And we slowly find out that Vanderveer is this ruthless entrepreneur, greedy bastard, right? Mm-hmm. And so much so that he's he's tricking everybody. He's he hires the whole troop on and then shit cans them after you know a couple weeks. He find we find out that Dumbo's mom is at Dreamland and Dumbo goes and finds her. And instead of reuniting the animals, and this is one of the issues that I had in that it's like, wow, that's just like unnecessarily evil. But he's like, okay, get the mother out of here and have her shot. You know, kill her, kill the mother. I'm like, damn, man, like, really? That's just bad business. Like, from a business standpoint, that's just bad business. You bought that elephant. And now you're going to take a loss on it just by going out and killing it. And that kind of shit I find fascinating because Vanderveer and, and, you know, feel free to agree, disagree. 
is basically evil Walt Disney. He comes in selling this dream, comes in where wearing his fancy suits and you know this is a place where dreams are born and this is the place where we entertain and and oh I feel like a kid again and I have the childlike wonder. And then he's a psychopath. Now let me ask you, do you what what side do you buy in on on the the interpretation? Do you buy in on the idea that this is bullshit and it's just like uh, it's it's crocodile tears. It's it's doesn't mean anything because Disney's the one peddling it. Or do you buy into the fact that like, wow, this is a really bold move. Like this is a really interesting move for a company to make a movie that basically is like owning itself. Where do you fall in that camp? Well, <laughs> I would say. There I is mean, no wrong answer here. I mean, there's easy parallels, yes, to it. Um, I think if you view Disney as this evil big corporation, then obviously I think it's easy to go straight to there and be like, this is a representation of Disney. Like, this sure. is why, you know, and even go to the question of why would Disney make a movie that basically points at itself and 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 pokes at itself. Um that being said, under the microscope of who is releasing this in that it's Disney, um, I think there there could be some commentary in there in the sense of like, quote unquote, self-awareness that, um, you know, Disney may be aware of um, the potential for it to go in that direction or maybe sure. even Disney being self-aware that there's that. Um, there's that view potentially of them. Um, but I think for, for a company like Disney that spends so much time focusing on being inclusive, on trying to reach out into the community and things like that, and whether it's all for show and to make themselves look good or not, really doesn't really you know matter at that point because, sure. I mean, all companies do that. Um, whether it's to check a box or whether it's to actually be core to who they are. Um, and maybe you have, you know, more insight having been employed by Disney. Um, but I don't think I've ever, I don't think, I think people that are very invested in the movie community and that there may be more people in that community that view Disney potentially as this big corporation monopoly, sure. that kind of thing. But you got to remember the general public, the majority of people view Disney as this magical place that they go and visit. Right. Some people all the time. Right. And some people on very special occasions. Like It's an empire. It's of joy. easy when you are so involved in reading about movies and Twitterverse and all that kind of stuff to get this super negative opinion sure. of what people view Disney. But if you went out to the masses, right. most people would have positive feelings towards Disney. You know, you brought up a very interesting – and this is getting away. We're not really talking about spoilers now. But you brought up a really interesting point, David, and that I forgot about. That I worked for Disney for <laughs> a year. I forgot about that, man. I can't believe I forgot about and all that. And it, what's interesting is that, again, this was 10 years ago. Things sure. have changed since then in terms of the way that they pay – their employees in terms of the way that they pay their interns and things like that. Not much, but it's changed. We didn't get paid crap as college interns. I, I left with less money than I came with. Now, granted, I spent a lot. Sure. Um, but that was not a money-making venture, number one. No. Number two. Most internships aren't. Most internships aren't. Number two, you know, I did see it's it's a machine. It's thousands of employees who can be slotted in and out and replaced very easily you know i saw some things there where it was like oh damn like there's no oh you got hurt oh okay you're going home you know um i was sick for a, a week and i found out that i had strep throat and the weird thing was is that the doctor wouldn't write me a note for the days before even like, it was just it's, it was a weird thing and so I only got a certain amount of days off because even though I've had strep throat for a week, I can only prove like two days of it. Sure. Which was weird to me. Um, 
that being said, like everybody who I worked with was amazing as individuals. Uh, I worked at Animal Kingdom and at the Safari Ride, and there was a huge emphasis on the animals come first. So there's a level of animal conservation there that I found to be, you know, in the message of this film to be in line, if you will. That being said, Disney workers are striking. They're talking about livable wages and we won't get too deep into the politics of that kind of shit. But, you know, I think one can make the argument in both cases. You look at how friendly Disney is to the LBGTQ community. You look how Disney is friendly in terms of pet, you know. All of the things that they're trying to do, all of the movies that they're making send out these positive messages, right? So they're they're pushing it out to the masses. This movie, and we can talk about the things that they changed, but one of the big differences in this movie is that the original ends with them being a star at the circus, which in 1941 was the dream. You want to be a superstar. Sure. This one ends with them breaking Dumbo and his mother out and sending them back to Asia or India or wherever they wherever they wind up at the end. Mm-hmm. And it ends with them in the jungle with their fellow elephants and things of that nature. That's a great message to send to people. Sure. Even if Disney has animals in captivity. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a great... Frozen is a great message of... Um, I, I don't know, you know, girl power, you know, uh, a, a good global represent- warning. What global warning? Go global <laughs> climate change, climate change, climate change. Yeah. And so like the line. So I find it fascinating with the message that a corporation is sending out versus the way they treat their people. And that goes back to this film, the message that they're trying to send out. We're trying to build dreams. Look, we have exhibits on science and animals, but at the same time, Vanderveer is such a shitty guy that during the perform first performance of Dumbo, he doesn't even bother putting the nets down for safety. It's like the nets are for practice. This is for real. Like that's just egregiously unsafe. You know? Sure. So it, it's it's I don't know. It's an interesting conversation. Um I mean, I don't really know how much there else is to, to talk about the film. I don't know if there are any particular well, I think, good parts and funny I, stuff. I mean, I think the other thing that you can talk about is I guess I had one other kind of thought in regards to my overall feeling on it. One, I feel like we went very safe in this. For Tim Burton, you get weird, you get crazy. Um, there's some things that didn't age well, which would be expected from something that was made in 1941. But you had things like Dumbo getting absolutely hammered on champagne and having a whole dream sequence of pink elephants. Yep. Like people forget, like that was because he got hammered because he accidentally drank he, a bucket of champagne. Maybe Dumbo got drunk off his ass in 1941. So obviously not surprising they took that out. They right. did make the little joke uh, when Danny DeVito uh, comes in and, and Dumbo's in the bath and he says no champagne for baby or no something like that. No champagne for baby, yep. Something along the, they bring the pink elephants back. They bring the pink elephants back. They're in Dream World or mm-hmm. whatever it's called. Dreamland. Dreamland. Although, again, like, I know this is a fantasy, but, like, they have uh, balloon, not balloon, um, bubbles, giant bubble wands yeah. that they come around and, and move around and then it turns into this dancing pink elephant. And I'm just like, what's what's the physics behind, sure. behind that? Well, and then I think even you mentioned Dumbo's not, you know, still in the circus. He's free, you know, something that I'm sure Pete is a big fan of. So, I mean, you have no crows. Obviously, the crows, a lot of people feel and, and probably validly is a little racist in yeah. hindsight. Um, and so all of that stuff was kind of avoided um, or deliberately taken out. Mm-hmm. Um, I also feel like this was, if you look on the spectrum of Tim Burton, like this wasn't that weird for Tim Burton. It's a good point. Like, granted, it was a circus movie, so you have some weirdness, but like he didn't really lean in. Like he could have gone real weird with sure. circus, and this is pretty tame from circus levels. Like, I've been to creepier circuses than what this was. And granted, Dumbo was a children's movie. Right. 
But when you think of Tim Burton, you think a little bit more. There wasn't even any conjoined twins in this movie or anything. I mean, come on. The weirdest thing they had was like a fat lady, a skinny guy. Did they have a bearded lady? I can't remember. She wasn't bearded. She was just big. Yeah. They had the strong man, the knife throwers. Um, I did like, and again, going back to like the fantastical elements of this film, like some of the things I liked, like I liked, oddly, I really liked the end. Like I, I, I as much as I found, cause fucking, uh, I, of course that's the F word I dropped for this one. Michael Keaton at the end of the film is trying to kill this damn elephant, right? And he goes to the top of his control tower, and he's like, I need the electricity turned back on. And he just pushes his engineers aside and starts hitting buttons like a moron, like literally fumbling around like a monkey with a with a switch. And it ends up overloading the breakers and burning Dreamland to the ground, right? Sure. So I was really like, I'm just was like, that's dumb. You're dumb. You're dumb. For doing that. Like, why are you so angry? I, I didn't buy it. Sure. Right? But I did like the way that it ended with the the Medici. Sir, Medici, is that how you pronounce it? Medici? 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 Medici. Um, f- if going from the Medici Brothers Circus to the Medici Family Circus. And they have, uh, they didn't, well, they don't have Dumbo anymore. But they have, like, Colin Farrell's got a robot arm. Inexplicably. And they talk about Dreamland. they talk about that earlier. Yeah, they show. Oh, look, Daddy, you can have a robot arm, mm-hmm. and then he has one. And they found a way to like bring everybody together, and that looks like a fun circus to be a part of. I kind of enjoyed it, although it was weird because it was like Danny DeVito was in a commercial. He's like, "Come to the Medici Family Circus," and I just I'm like, "Who are you talking to?" That that was a little weird. There's and that's kind of the general way that this movie goes in that. There are some really nice things in it. And then there are things I'm like, well, that's weird. That Mm -hmm. doesn't match. Oh, my God, David. We didn't talk about the weirdest part. We didn't talk about the – I can't believe neither of us talked about this. Swear to God. Okay, for everybody in the podcast, this took me out of the movie. This took me out of the movie. Mm -hmm. We're in dreamland. Okay? We're getting ready for – it's Dumbo's first show. And who's who is the carnival barker? Who is the announcer for Dreamland? It's Michael Buffer. Yeah, why wouldn't it be? It's Michael Buffer. Why? Let's get ready to rumble. Okay, so you bring up an X. X so yes, <laughs> you see where I'm going with this. Not only is it Michael Buffer who has like a great announcer voice, mm-hmm. but then he's like, ladies and gentlemen. Let's get ready for Dumbo. And I was just like, what is happening? Uh It was so weird to me that not only do we have this weird Michael Buffer cameo, but then there's a direct reference to his modern line. Uh I don't know what. Like, it was hilarious, but not in a great way. I don't know. The only way I know how to describe it is weird. Uh It was just weird. Thoughts? (laughs) I agree. I I also think, um, you know, I will say as much as they took away and went more safe, they did escalate one thing in the movie. We have Dumbo's mom in the original just goes crazy and attacks some people in in protecting Dumbo. This one, she actually kills someone. That's true. So, you know, we go a little bit darker here. Another, and that fucking guy deserved to die, like unnecessarily evil. Like you're yeah. just unnecessarily evil, and he got smushed. I enjoy. I actually was like, "Ooh, that's kind of violent for a PG movie." I think it's mm-hmm. PG, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah, man. So it's just it's just a weird movie. It's fine. It's 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 won't be now. There. Now that you've seen it come out, yeah, I don't remember off the top of our head your projection for it originally Ooh. on a box office standpoint. Made forty six million domestic coming out. What do you think? It do you think it gets over here? Here's my over under for you: okay. two hundred million. Does it get to two hundred million domestic? Yeah. No. One fifty. Maybe. There's a lot of movies coming out. Here we go. 100 million over under Dumbo. I'll say over 100 okay. million. Okay. So over yeah. over 100 million. Okay. I, I 
I think it's got a good chance. I, I do think it's just a rough time for movies right now in general. I mean, this isn't really a big box office time. And sure. it didn't get great reviews. I mean, there's a ch- there's a legit chance this doesn't get to $100 million domestic. I think it will, but I think you're going to see it end up like 104 Yeah. Only I- because after this weekend, we get Shazam this weekend and Pet Cemetery aren't really big competition for a movie like Dumbo. Uh, maybe right. Shazam takes a little bit from it, but it's pretty weak the next so, couple weeks after this. Ready Player One made a little bit less, and Ready Player One hit 137. So I'm comfortable taking the over on 100. Okay. But I think this will be one of, I mean, Christopher Robin last year only made 99s. And that's the thing. With these 10 movies coming out, you're bound to have, like, Artemis Fowl, I, I wouldn't be shocked if it made less than 70. You know, mm-hmm. so it's going to have some low ones. But when we get the murderer's row of Endgame, Toy Story 4, Aladdin, Lion King, those movies are all going to make th- hundreds of millions of dollars. So it's going to even out, you know. Sure. What are you? I don't know. What are you going to do? Disney will be fine. Let's just put it that way. Disney's going to be fine. OK. All right. Uh Before we wrap up, again, I want to remind everybody that you can get regular episodes of The Popcorn Diet delivered to you for free by hitting that subscribe button, following us wherever you're listening from. Just take a couple of seconds, just a little, little second. If you're not, unless you're driving, don't do it if you're driving. Don't do it if you're operating heavy machinery. But if you're sitting there listening to us, if you're in traffic at a red light, hit subscribe. Give us five stars. Give us a quick rating. Share with your friends. Share with your good movie buddies. We'd really appreciate it. Also, don't forget to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash thepopcorndiet and consider throwing a few dollars in the direction of the podcast to help us get better, help us provide more content, more merch, more fun stuff for you, the community. Don't forget, check it out, patreon.com slash thepopcorndiet. Of course, we don't want you to forget, you can follow us on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, at thepopcorndiet, and of course... Last but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, articles, reviews, predictions, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. But for the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn, I am your very best good movie buddy, Rick Williamson. And we'll see you next time with another good movie on the Popcorn Diets. Adios.